All right. Well, we are winding down in our text. As many of you know, here we preach verse by verse. We do do offshoot series sometimes, but the predominant amount of our preaching is verse by verse teaching. So if you would turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And Pastor Castillo covered the previous verses, so we'll be beginning at verse 17. We'll end this chapter today, and then next Sunday we'll begin on 1 John chapter 5. A lot of rehearsing and reiteration, re-exhortation is in this particular point of text, so we won't labor it too long, but we'll try to pull out what God has gleaned, has allowed us to glean from these particular passages. 1 John 4, 17 through 21, we would ask you to stand if you're able and willing. 1 John 4, 17 through 21, it reads, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love Cast out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he had seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let us pray. You may be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another Sunday to come and preach your word. Fill our hearts with joy and confidence and exhortation as we read on these passages that are coming out of the text that John, the Apostle John, is trying to encourage the church, the believers, the ones who are saved, the ones who are in Christ, to trust in you. And that trust breeds perfect love. Let us have it, let us know it, and let us abide in it, because we abide in you. Give us the spirit to be able to preach and not lacking anything. Give us the spirit to hear this morning, and let us receive what you say to the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we have come to the end of chapter 4, we see the Apostle John weaving and reinforcing so many themes, encouraging statements, discerning tools for the believer. In this latter portion of this chapter, many things have been repeated over and over again. But in summary, or in review summary, he is heavily leaning into the qualities and the benefits of love. Love is the source by which we filter and do all things in Christ. Because God's essence in and of himself, as we studied before, is love. God is love. Love is the binding agent between brothers and sisters of the faith. As we are commanded to love one another, love is the reason why we are saved. God loved us first. He is the initiator of love. He is love truly revealed. 
We would not know love had it not been for the love of God. And this love is not just in declaration, but in deed. The greatest deed was sending the Son of God, his only unique Son, to die for the atoning work of salvation. Because true love, as we stated last time, is not a feeling or a saying, but it is a committed action, which is the reason why in our faith it is a direct commandment of Christ. You give a command to receive an action. That's what love is. In other words, we as Christians have a duty to love. And the duty is not a burden because we, those who are in God, in Christ, those who love God as he loves, will reap the benefits of what love brings. Love brings assurance. Love brings knowledge. For John says over and over again, we can know. We can know the truth. We can know error. We can know the spirit of Christ and the spirit of the wicked one. And we can know precisely because we have love. And with the knowledge of God brings wisdom. And with wisdom, discernment. The blessing of discernment is how we can know Antichrist from the true Christ. It is how we can know who is in Christ, and it is how we can fully be confident that we are in Christ, the self-examination. Love doesn't leave, because since God is love, and he first loved us and chose us, he will never leave us or forsake us. This means that the outpouring action of love in our salvation will be continual. That's propitiation. And that propitiation through God the Son is everlasting. It is forever. So we abide in him because he abides in us forever. And since God is love, then love, the very essence of love, with all of the benefits and qualities which come from love, all of those benefits are forever as well. So, our orientation, or rather our attitudes and our actions should be to love first and to love continually because God does. Without condition, without apprehension, inhibition, because it is God who abides in us and who loves us. In other words, we have no excuse to hold back the love of God because everything that God gives us through his love is without condition or restraint. The Apostle John, by this point, is encouraging the believers in their sanctification. This eternal love, this eternal assurance, this eternal abiding we have in God will grow in our lives as we journey in the here and now. So we are blessed with assurance of eternality and are blessed with wisdom and we grow in our temporal state. An eternal fate, an eternal love, and an eternal home are all the products of the abiding, eternal, living God, which is in us. So with all that knowledge, with all the discernible tools that John has given us, he exposes a final lesson, if you will. He exposes fear. 
Fear is sort of a sister attribute of hatred or unbelief. Fear is the quality of those who are not in Christ and have not the love of God because they are without God. Unlike love, which is an action, fear is an emotion that drives actions. But the actions that are born out of fear are sin. Fear produces sins. Think about it. People lie because they fear being caught or embarrassed or being ashamed. People become thieves because they fear not having something. Or they fear the perception of others because they don't have enough or the same thing as somebody else. A couple sermons ago, we discussed the deity of Christ and the nature of Christ coming in the flesh. People will deny essential doctrines because they fear what the world or what academics will say about them or what it will do to their reputation in public. This is the reason why most conservative movements fail. This is the reason why most campaigns to change things for the greater good are unsuccessful because the fear of persecution and ridicule in that belief in Christ brings when you present Christ as the only way. But as we have studied, without Christ, there is no wisdom. Without Christ, there is no truth. Without Christ, there is no assurance. Without Christ, there is no salvation. You can be pro-life all day, but without Christ, where do you get the foundation of what life is? You can use the best scientific arguments of why a fertilized human egg, a zygote, which is a wholly unique human being with its own DNA. But if that human being is not made in the image of God, then that human life has no value or dignity, worthy of protection. Fear will make you leave out Jesus and expect the fruit of the Spirit. You see, that is the quality of perfect love. Perfected love is without fear. And that will be our subject for today. Perfect love is fearless. Perfect love is fearless. A love that is perfected is not afraid. A love that is perfect is not afraid to tell the truth. It's not afraid to share the gospel. It is not afraid to proclaim Christ. As we heard last week, whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God abides in him. And just like our salvation, the perfect love does not come from us, for God loved first, but from God, because he is in us and we abide in him. So with our time today, we'll see how the perfect love of God is fearless. Let's go back up to 1 John 4, beginning at verse 17. Let's read that again. 1 John 4, 17. It reads, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Since God abides in us, John moves forward with the same thought from the previous verses. So since God is abiding in us, we have perfect love. And since we have perfect love, we can stand boldly 
Stand with confidence in the day of judgment. In other words, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and when the small and great are standing before the throne in the eschaton, in the end times, we can stand assured that we will not be judged as our sins deserve. But we can stand on the fact that the very God of revealed scripture has given us perfect righteousness through Jesus Christ. Therefore, our love is made perfect by God, through God, and because of God. From beginning to end, from faith to faith, it is all of God. This verse is the great reinforcement of the exhortation of truth. Not only are we made perfect, but we can come before the very great and terrible judgment seat of God and be without fear of condemnation. What does Romans 8, 1 and say? There is therefore no condemnation to them who are in what? Christ Jesus. John three eighteen. it says he that believes on him, talking about Christ, is not condemned. But he that doesn't believe in him is condemned already. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The same faithful and just God invites us into the kingdom with the full benefits of an heir of the throne. And who's the heir of the throne? Jesus Christ. For we are sons and daughters. We are the bride of Christ. We are not worthy, but we are made worthy by the sacrifice of the son. We are not bold and confident because of our works in the flesh, We are not even bold due to the works that we commit ourselves to or have accomplished in God's kingdom. We are bold in confidence because what Christ accomplished in his walk and what he leads by and because he has fulfilled all of scripture and he has given us the Holy Spirit who abides in us. At the end of the verse, we get a wonderful exhortation. John says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Wow. What a great and humbling honor. God is love. God is righteous. God is faithful. God is just. God is without fear. And he is, because we have been given him, and he is in us, we are like him in the world. And this doesn't mean that we are little gods or that we can somehow attain some demigod status like most other religions. What it means is is that we we reflect the, the character of God. As we imitate Christ, we reflect God's righteousness as we obey him and we reflect God's strength as we do not fear because he is with us. This reminds me of what Christ said in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. What did he say? He says, when he is gone, he goes through the Beatitudes. We know those already. Then he goes to verse 13 of Matthew 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, its seasoning power, where can it be salted? It is good for nothing 
but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. He goes on to say, not only are we salt, salt is a preserving agent, but we are also lights in the world. Verse 14 of Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick so that it gives light to all who are in the house. It's the reason why we don't install light bulbs on the ground. The lights are installed high so the light can shine. We are the lights in the world. We are the preserving agents, the salt, because God is in us. When the world sees us, they should see Jesus Christ. And guess what? The world, and includes us, the world hates Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian and you're walking through life smooth sailing, I would question and examine how much for Christ are you exuding in the world. When they see Jesus Christ, they should hear and see the gospel manifested. And when they see God, they should not glorify us, but our prayer and our hope is that they would glorify God to the glory of the Father. You see, if we are gripped by fear, we will not share the gospel effectively, if at all. But if we have perfect love, the fear of sharing our faith will be cast out. I will accept name calling for the sake of someone else hearing the good news of Christ and coming to salvation. Listen, the perfect love from, from Christians will not only help you overcome these external, these, these external factors that cause fear, but the internal ones as well. You know what I mean. When you talk to family members and you get those butterflies and you don't want to come off judgmental, as the world would say. You will say to yourself, am I smart enough to share the gospel? Am I worthy enough to share the gospel? Or here is probably the deepest one that we tell ourselves, how can I share the gospel when I myself have so much sin in my past? And the people who I desire to share the gospel with, they know my sin. Well, John has already encouraged us in this great letter to the church by letting us know that we have perfect love and the proof of that perfect love is abiding in God because God abides in us, who is love. Therefore, we are not professing ourselves to be righteous. We are not judging the world because the world has been judged already. No. We are simply beggars telling other beggars where bread is. In other words, our conditions are the same before God, but our positions are different. We as Christians are not better than anyone else, but we are better off. Because the God of love has chosen us and given us his righteousness. So the fear of apprehension fades away when you realize it is not about you. It is not even of you. But God in you does it all. Including giving you the unction or the desire to cast off all fear with perfect love to share the perfect saving grace of Jesus Christ. 
Let's move on to verse 18. Verse 18. He moves on from that point, but remember that point. 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out or puts away fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Since we have no fear of death as Christians, since we have no fear of condemnation as Christians, and since we have no fear of eternal punishment under the righteous judgment of God, we should have no fear. As the Bible says, what can man do to me when I have God? This type of fear that the text is referring to is not the fear of the Lord or the fear we gain through wisdom of being with the Lord, which is a healthy fear through experience and growth in the spirit, a respect, a reverence for God. In the Greek word, it is pronounced phobos. That sounds familiar. It is where we get our English word phobia. You got a bunch of made up words today, right? Transphobia, homophobia. But this is where the root word comes from. It comes from a word that means to be terrified. It means to be gripped, to be frightened, to be afraid of something irrationally. The Christian should have no phobos. We should have no phobias when it comes to talking about Jesus. When it comes to talking about the faith we have from Jesus, and we should have no fear in declaring the king and his kingship. And since God is love, the text could also be read like this. There is no fear in God, but a perfect God in you will cast out fear. Now here's the thing. Are you going to have doubt or fear? Yes, you will. Some of us have a fear of being social. Some of us have fears of public speaking. Some of us have fears of being alone. These fears are by all accounts normal in terms of a fallen humanity. But they may not be helpful for your Christian walk. God is not calling everyone to have an extroverted personality. But he is definitely not calling saints to be antisocial. God has not called everyone to be a preacher or a teacher or an apologist or in an academic sense a preacher. But he has not called us to be silent concerning our faith. For the gospel is the only power unto salvation. God is not telling every Christian to participate in a party every day. But he does command you to come to the gathering, the assembly, the church. God has not called Christians to walk this hard road of our faith alone. But to be with the people of God the perfect lovers of God, continually. The perfect love of God will compel, will compel every Christian to move out of their comfort zone and into a zone that you once were afraid of. That's why we always say pray for a conversation with gospel opportunity. You have to pray for everything without ceasing. Pray for the perfect love of God to extinguish all fear from you, and he will do it. I am a witness. 
Every Lord's Day, me and Pastor Casillo just had a conversation in, in, in the foyer. But every Lord's Day, newsflash, I am fearful before I step behind the pulpit. I think, am I going to say too much or did I say too little? Am I going to remember that one footnote I had? Am I going to pronounce the Greek or Hebrew term correctly? Was my study sufficient? Will the hearers of what I'm going to say, will they hate what I'm going to say? Will they love what I'm going to say? On and on it goes in my mind. But you know what I like about that? Fear exposes that need for Christ more. It also puts me in the best position. That I have no confidence in the flesh. My confidence should not be in the vocabulary or the enunciation or the likability. My confidence should be solely in God. And the perfected love that he has given me by his spirit. And that perfect love, I bear witness, is cast out every time I'm given the blessed opportunity to speak on his behalf and preach the word. Every Christian should be no different. When we're given the opportunity at Thanksgiving to preach the gospel, to pray, we ought to. When we're given the opportunity to share the gospel with a complete stranger in the supermarket, we ought to. When we're given the opportunity to preach or to teach or to pray with somebody on their deathbed who does not know Christ, we should not be afraid. Because you are the lights and you have the only message that gives the power to save men. Perfect love casts out fear. And make no mistake, as much as you want to give up or stay away from what you're afraid of, God will providentially place you in positions where you have no choice but to trust him and to rely on him totally to cast out fear. You pray for God for patience, and he makes you wait. You pray for God for strength, and he puts you through hard times. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, the Lord says. Even in the Old Testament and even throughout the history of the church, we were talking in small group this week about a wonderful book. You can probably buy it for a penny or you can get it for free. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's story after story of the historical nature of the church of people being persecuted. It's, it's some stories that are so gruesome, I don't like to say it in front of children, but there are some stories where people were persecuted with their lives. And there was one story of a man where he received a package and that package had one of his family members' body parts in it. And all he said, the testimony of what he said was, God has never wronged me and went out to preach the gospel. I can admit that my heart is not that strong. I don't know what I would do in that day, but I pray God that he makes me strong and removes fear from me. In the Old Testament, the same thing. And it wasn't just because God desired his elect people to represent him well, which he did. It wasn't just because he wanted them to have victory for bragging rights. He, desire, he desires for his people to be as he is. And who can put fear in the heart of God? Who can thwart God's plans? Who can fight or war against the living God of all the earth? No one. Let me make this clear. 
this was not encouraging his people to have a God complex, meaning we do not think ourselves to be God, but our trust is in God, and now we are unhindered from the fear that we feel as fallen man. We will defeat our enemies and win. If we die and we lose, even on the battlefield, we still win because we will be with him. Hold your place in 1 John 4. Turn over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy 20, verses 1 through 9. He expresses this, and this is the physical thing. Now, of course, we know that our war is not carnal. It's not fleshly. We're not picking up swords or ammunition or whatever, fighting people physically. The Bible says that our warfare is spiritual. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Look at what he says to the armies that he has called out and chosen through Israel. He says this, When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and armies larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord, Yahweh, your God is with you who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Look at that. He says, when you see the horses and see, I, see, see, see we play, you know, uh, you know, we, we play video games and we don't think of wars the way old wars used to be fought. Right. You know, we have weapons where we can pick somebody off from 40, 50, 100, 600 yards away. But back in the Old Testament, back in the Old Testament time, when you stood upon a plane and you saw chariots that were golden. You saw men with shields and spears and swords. And men, as far as the eye can see, it would make anybody's heart faint. But God says, don't be afraid of them because I brought you out of Egypt. Look at verse 2. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people. And shall say to them, hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Watch what the officers do. Then the officers shall speak to the people saying, is there any man who built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicated. Is there any man who has planted a vineyard and not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in battle and another man enjoy its fruits. Is there any man who has betrothed or become engaged to a new wife and has not taken her let him go back to his house lest he die in battle and another man take her and the officers shall speak further to the people and say is there any man who is fearful and faint-hearted let him go back to his house lest he make the heart of his fellow man melt like his own is rings of jesus christ if any man is not willing to reject mother or father or sister or brother or houses or land or any of these things, if they worship these things or put these things above me, they are not even worthy of me. 
who is more worthy than Christ? These men say, when we're going to this physical battle, if you have anything that's going to hold you back or let you be fearful, or you're going to be shaky on the battlefield because you're trying not to die because you're afraid, go back and enjoy it. Go back and enjoy that wife. Go back and enjoy that land. Go back and enjoy all those things you built, but, but, but don't come, come, come to the battle yet. We need people who are ready to die for God's army. There's an old hymn, and it would go, it would say, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. And then there was a verse that would say, and I won't turn back. For anyone who puts his hand to the gospel plow and turns back is not worthy. And verse 9 says, and when the officers have finished speaking to the people, then commanders shall be appointed at the head of the people. Yes, there are going to be saints of God who are stronger, who have a, a more of an attitude or who have been gifted, but do not let that make your heart faint that you have started here and they're here. Obviously, God's going to build you up and there's going to be somebody that's going to come behind you. Paul built up Timothy. Priscilla and Aquila built up Apollos, so on and so forth. Let your heart be focused on the perfect love of God and casting out the fear that God desires for you not to have. Let's turn back to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, let's take 19 and 20 together. 1 John 4, 19 and 20. It says, we love him because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he had seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? John once again reiterates the position that God is regarding love. He is always in first position. God initiates every portion of our salvation. He first loved us, which is the reason why we are able to love him in the first place. So what flows from that is to say, if anyone says they love God but hates their brother, he is a liar. Why? Because perfect love loves first. Remember back in the day when you were courting? It's like, I want you to say it first. No, you say it first. No, you say it first. No, you say it first. God says, I'll say it and I'll do it first. I love you. That's perfect love. So it's pretty straightforward and simple. The one who says they love God but are actively showing hatred to the brothers and sisters of the believe body they are lying by virtue of their actions. Remember, love is an action. Love is not a saying or a feeling. So verbal affirmation of love is not enough. You need execution to confirm that you believe. My grandfather used to always say, don't watch people's mouths, but watch their feet. In other words, don't listen to what people say, watch their actions. 
because they will tell you more what they do in what they do rather than what they say. So the text goes on to say, if this is true, if love is not being exhibited through action, then how can this person say or verbalize that they love God? The question is rhetorical. The answer is they can't say that. It's like a husband beating his wife and saying, I love you. You don't because a man, as the Bible says, loves his wife as he loves his own flesh. And no man mars or taints or hurts his own flesh. In other words, they don't love God whom they have not seen because they don't even love the brothers that have perfect love that they do see every day. Love acts in love in the way that God loves is perfect. So the fear of apprehension of, I was in a previous church and they did X, Y, Z and everything else, God says love. Well, you know, you know I, I've been in these type of relationships before, these circumstances, and I know what's going to happen. No, you don't. God knows what's going to happen. Again, this is not a call to be gullible or to be frightful and fearful in your, in your mind in such a way to where you're being overtaken by some nature of the tongue. But it is a call to say we are called to love first and any wounds that are there, God will heal. And oftentimes he heals those wounds through the perfect love of a saint of God. Let's go to the last verse. 1 John 4, 21. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God, some translations just say love, but the implied Hebrew is, is an action love, must. It is a commandment. You must love the brothers. That means the ones who are of the household of faith. In other words, love is not just a good feeling. Love is an uncomfortable feeling. How uncomfortable was it on the cross when Jesus hung? How uncomfortable was it when they put a bag over his head and punched him in the face? How uncomfortable was it when they spit in his face and cursed him to his face? How uncomfortable was it to have a friend who had laid with you, who had labored with you, kiss you on the cheek to signify that you are the one that needs to be crucified? How uncomfortable is love when he had to drink your sin and my sin? See, I love you to tell you enough that I do love you. I love you enough to have the tough one-on-one -on -one conversation. I love you enough to hold you accountable. That's what the church is for. I love you enough to tell you that if you were to pass away and go home to be with the Lord, I will care for your children. I will be there for your wife before I give them over to the world. 
I love you enough to obey the commandment. That's why love is an action. Love has to be obeyed. God commands the believers to love. He commands the husbands to love. He commands the wives to submit. These are all actions that are executed through Jesus Christ. I love you enough to obey the commandment of Jesus and to love you and then tell you to love me with the same fearless love of Christ. Because I am your brother. I am your sister. I am a blood-bought believer in Christ that has the perfected love of God in me, so I am not afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. And here's the thing. Even if you're fearful that they're going to reject you or reject the Savior you believe in or reject the gospel, guess what? Another thing from my grandfather. It was this girl I used to like back in kindergarten. This is a long, 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 long time ago. Long, long time ago. But the love of my life is here. But, you know, back in kindergarten, Candace Hardman. She was so pretty. She was so pretty. And I came home. I was just so afraid to talk to the girl and everything else. And my grandfather said, well, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I'm not talking to her. He's like, well, you're losing. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, if you don't talk to her, you're losing. And if you talk to her, she says, no, you're losing. So you didn't really lose anything. All you can do is win. So if you can win a soul for Christ by casting out the fear and having the perfect love, you have won a soul to God. And God has won a soul through his perfect love. Let me tell you, if we have more perfect lovers in this world, imagine what we could do. We could be like the Church of Acts. We could turn the world upside down if we were not fearful. We'll leave with that. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bless your name because you first loved us. You initiated all of the points of our salvation. You loved us. You sent your only begotten son to come for us. You tabernacled or walked with us. You made us whole. You taught us. You expounded upon your word. You made your word more clearer. You gave sight to the blind. You made us whole. Through your perfect love, we receive eternal life. So we will eternally love you forever. But let us show that we have that eternal love by loving the brothers and sisters now. Because that love will transfer and continue in eternity. Let us love one another from the womb to the tomb. Because we know that after that, there is a resurrection. And there is a judgment. But we who are saved have no fear, for there is no condemnation. Because we have the perfect, loving God within us. And we will stand before the throne. And because you love us, you will say, come into the kingdom. 
Come into the joy of the Lord, thy good and faithful servant. And that servant is not us. That servant is Christ. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his perfection and the perfect love which is in you that is now in us. In Jesus, amen.